Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 6, we're preaching through the book of Luke Sunday nights. Uh, we've, we ministered on Luke chapter 5. If you think I'm skipping a chapter, we ministered on Luke 5 on Sunday evening. And uh, this morning, Luke chapter 6. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 6. How many, how many husbands and wives, you have a bit of a debate when it comes to what movies you're going to watch on a particular evening. I mean, what kind of movies does he like? Action movies. Hallelujah. Hmm. And what kind of movies does she like? What does she want to watch? Oh, I couldn't figure out what they were saying. Hallmark Channel. Because Hallmark Channel shows what kinds of movies love movies romantic movies my my oh uh, 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 you know that's my wife she <laughs> you never want to watch love movies with me love stories romantic movies. all you want to watch is john wayne and i said that's right the duke that's how you get things done so we, we compromised the other day and watched my favorite movie, McClintock. McClint if you're having marital problems, go home today and watch McClintock. Hallelujah. There's not only some action in that movie and some comedy in that movie, he finally at the end, he grabs her and he says to his wife who's been kind of uh, separated from him, he grabs her and he says, woman, you'll never find a man that'll love you like this man and gives her a big kiss and boy, she just gets all rosy. I like that. Holly, give us more men like that. Oh my, I just saw a wife roll her eyes. Okay. Love. Our generation has promoted love more than any other culture or society. We've got more books on love and romance. If you come to my house, you'll see entire bookcases, not just shelves, bookcases filled with Virginia Holt romance novels. I think I'm saying, am I saying the name right, Julie? Nah, the last name's right. Holt, what's the first name? Victoria, Victoria Holt. Romance novels. Becky and I, we, we took a trip to the cottage up north, and I, I wanted to listen to my music, but no. She put in a CD, 24 love songs by the letterman. Young people, you'll just have to Google it. Then you'll understand. I mean, one love song after another. I mean, you know, they're singing memories and the way we were and all. <laughs> then we got Love's Big Day coming up. Valentine's Day, a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, I mean, what a generation. Love, 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 love. Yet love is still the most misunderstood, the most used and abused uh, concept and word uh, in the English language. And it's so funny for a generation that talks the talk so much about love, but we don't walk the talk. We might not hear it with the hearing of the ear, but we sure experience it over and over again. I'm talking about the attitude of Hey, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Hey, I'm looking out for number one. If I don't look out for myself, uh, nobody else will. I'm not interested in helping other people uh, uh, and their problems. I got enough of my own. Hey, we only get one shot in this life. We only go around once, uh, and I'm out to grab all the gusto I can. I'm talking about me, myself, and, and I. Would you agree with me that we live in a time, a culture, a society, a generation that lives to get, a people not interested in other people's needs, 
people we rub shoulders with that uh, won't take the time ever to help anyone. They focus only on what they want. They focus on only what they need. Uh, and, and ironically, this self-centeredness, this selfish attitude, this self-directedness doesn't lead to utopia, does not lead to nirvana. It leads to a very shallow, superficial empty, dissatisfied life. If you don't uh, agree with me, just ask Elvis Presley all the way down to Justin Bieber. Boy, the poor Bieber. I mean, he's having a rough time lately. 19 years old, he, he's got it all, and he's blowing it, trying to find some sense of fulfillment. Living to get, living to get, living to get, would you agree with me? It never satisfies. Jesus has a better way. Would you like to hear about the better way? Luke 6, verse 27, Jesus said to you who are listening, I say love. And we'll start there this morning with just that one word, love. And then we'll move on. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, is the Lord telling you to be a doormat? If a husband is physically abusing his wife or his children, are Christians supposed to just take it and turn the other cheek? Is that what Jesus is teaching? You need to understand the historical context in the Jewish culture. The right hand, they never slapped with the right hand. Matthew chapter 5 gives the parallel account with Luke. Matthew specifies and says uh, here as he quotes Jesus uh, that if someone slaps you on the right, the right cheek, Jews would never slap with the right hand because the right hand was the hand of blessing. Very good. The left hand was known as the defiled hand. They would use the left hand for bodily cleansing. It was defiled hand. They would always slap, if they wanted to insult, with the left hand. And the slap was always backhanded. The insult was doubled when it was a backhanded slap. You can only slap what cheek with a backhanded left-hand slap? The right cheek. When you turn the other cheek, that cannot be hit with a backhanded left-handed slap. So Jesus was not teaching the principle is not to be a doormat and be walked all over the, the teaching here is not masochism go ahead and allow yourself to be abused jesus never teaches that what is he teaching he's teaching somebody has to stop the cycle of tit for tat somebody has to stop the cycle of retaliation resentment and revenge he's calling us to stop it Look at the context. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This practical lifestyle stops a cycle of hatred, revenge, retaliation, resentment, and violence. If the world operated by this cycle, there would be no wars, no terrorism. There would be perfect harmony. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Even sinners love people who love them. He's calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to be a disciple, a follower of His. Verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But He wants us to go the extra mile. 
Verse 35, but love your enemies. The world doesn't do that. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Would you repeat that, those words with me? Then your reward will be great. Come on, let's bring up the volume. Then your reward will be great. Say it like a preacher now. Then your reward will be great. Hallelujah, I'm a believer now. Note the promise. And you will be children of the Most High. God refuses to have any children that are unlike Himself. Then you will be children of the Most High because He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the godly and the ungodly, the righteous and the wicked. He's a giver. He's a lover of everyone. He calls you to know less. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's analogous to an agricultural context. At harvest time, they'd bring in the grain. They would store the grain in large stone pots. When, when I was in Israel and lived there for a whole summer and I was on an archaeological dig, my, my greatest find was I was able to find a Bronze Age stone pot. It stood this tall. And I meticulously, with a brush, uncovered the whole thing. They would pour the harvest grain into the pot. And they'd press it down. They'd get all the air out. Because they had to store the grain all winter long and feed and feast from They didn't have a 7-Eleven right around the corner. And they'd get all the air out. They'd keep pouring the grain into the pot until it was running over. That's the analogy there. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with a measure you use, note the principle, it will be measured to you. Here, Jesus reveals in these verses the most radical lifestyle ever lived. It's diametrically opposed to the mindset that says, I live to get. If you really want to be a Christ follower, and listen, anybody can raise their hand and be saved. And we'll do that this morning. Forgiveness, salvation, grace is free. But let me warn you, if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, it will cost you everything. True followers of Jesus Christ live by a radical lifestyle. We don't live to get. We live to give. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us this morning. Lord, make Your Word come alive. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you have a sermon study guide, please follow along with me. If you don't have one, raise your hand and an usher will get one to you uh, expeditiously. Write it down. Christ followers who live to give are ruled by what? God's love. God's love. God's love. Whose image have you been created in? Whose image have you been created in? God's. Don't forget that. You have been created in the very image of the greatest lover, the greatest giver the universe will ever know. God. Our most familiar verse in the Bible is what? John 3.16, quote it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave, gave His best, His only begotten Son. He gave His very, very best. He gave His very best freely. He gave His very best both to the, to the righteous and to sinners. 
God gave. If you want to experience a new level of God joy, if you want God's favor and blessings throughout 2014, learn to, to be a giver instead of a taker. There's an old saying, love is not love until it's given away. Until you give it away. It doesn't cost you anything to give somebody a compliment. It doesn't cost you anything to give someone a handshake, a hug, a, your smile. Your smile. You can't imagine how many people need your smile. Wife. What does it cost you, wife, to tell your husband, I love you? Hubby, what does it cost you to, to tell your wife, you're great? I'm so glad you're mine. I wouldn't want to grow old with anyone else but you. You're never more like God than when you give to others. Give to others. Give to others. Who have you been created in the image of? And being created in the image of a lover in being created in the image of a giver. That means that you were wired, you were programmed to be merciful, grace-giving, kind, caring. When you resent, when you allow a root of bitterness to grow within you, when you retaliate, when you give punch for punch, tit for tat, hate for hate, Resentment for resentment, it goes against your programming. I just saw a quote, I wish I had his name off the tip of my tongue, I don't, it's not in my notes, by a renowned psychiatrist who said half of the beds in the institutions that he supervises could be emptied if those people could just forgive, could just love instead of holding on to bitterness. Resentment, retaliation, revenge, it goes against your wiring. It goes against your programming. You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Honey, sir, ma'am, face it. You're a love machine. Turn to the person next to you right now and tell them, I'm a love machine. Yeah. Yeah, we're having revival among our young people right now. That's why Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Love those who mistreat you. Yes, loving others, giving to others is the real pathway for happiness. Well, pastor, I'll start, I'll start blessing others when, when, I, when I get over my own problems. Hey, the best way I have found to get over my problems is to help somebody else with their problem. The best way I have found to fulfill my dreams, my hopes, and my goals is getting involved with somebody else's dreams and helping them succeed, helping them achieve their goals. Help somebody. And watch what God will do for you. Write it down, as we live to give to others, we activate Christ's kingdom principle. Give, and it shall be given to you. Now, a lot of us preachers like using that at offering time. And it can be applied at offering time. I want to give you a heads up right now. Pastor is not talking about giving this morning when it comes to church offerings or tithing. That's not the goal of this message. I want to stick with the context that Jesus is delineating for us in Luke 6 here. It's all about being other-centered, giving to others, giving to others. And the promise, the kingdom principle here is give, and it shall be given to you. Akin to that is a principle that we see throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. What you sow you shall reap. How many farmers do we know of that every spring they sit back in the old recliner, 
They get the lemonade or the tea there. They get the cluster of grapes. And they say, boy, you know, sure be nice this fall. Sure be nice to have some, have some corn. You know, a nice big kernel of corn with the butter lathered all over it that I can just sink my teeth into. Or, you know, it'd be nice to have some wheat. I'd really like to have, I'm going to believe for some wheat. So I can have a, you know, a, a nice, you know, nice, hot, gooey, chewy loaf of bread that just melts in your mouth and the butter just, oh, just oozes all over. I'm going to believe for that. I'm just going to believe and receive and I'm just going to claim it's going to happen this fall that I'm going to go out in my field and there's going to be wheat, there's going to be corn. You look at that and you say, that's ludicrous. If you want corn, you got to plant corn seed. If you want wheat, you got to plant what? Wheat. Honey, sir, ma'am, young person, what do you want? If there's anything in counseling you'll hear me ask over and over again, what do you want? What are you doing to get what you want? That's my next question. I'll skip some counseling questions. Then finally, what do you need to be doing to get what you want? Huh? You want more love in your marriage? Plant seeds of love. Don't sit back and just uh, daydream about it. Plant some seed. Plant some seed. What are you doing in planting seed in your relationships? Huh? Start planting some seeds so God can bring you a harvest. When we meet other people's needs, God makes sure to meet our needs. If you're generous to people in your time, in your talents, God will make sure other people are generous to you. When you make things happen for others, God will make sure things happen for you. Friday afternoon, spent much of my day at uh, Royal Beaumont Hospital. There, as many of you know, Randy Radcliffe, our dear member from the church and his dear wife Donna, Randy had brain surgery. A four-hour difficult, difficult procedure. And keep praying uh, for them, if you would. Uh, and uh, he's coming out, uh, my last update, with flying colors. Keep him in prayer. Uh, praise the Lord. Amen. Keep Tony Vandenberg in, in prayer, uh, who I also visited uh, this week at Providence Hospital as he's coming out uh, of the uh, blood vessel that burst uh, in his brain. And uh, keep these two men in prayer. And again, I don't want to exempt anyone. There's so many needs. I need to be careful uh, here. But here's the point. I'm in a lot of pre-op situations, and so is Pastor Hal. I go into pre-op and have prayer uh, with you all just before surgery and speak a word. And uh, I've been in a lot of waiting room situations in a surgical lounge, a lot of pre-ups. I have never seen more people in a waiting room. I have never seen more people in a pre-op situation that it came for the Radcliffs like I saw people this Friday. You would have thought there was an entire church congregation there. And all of his family, all of his brothers were there. Many times it's the siblings that are they're the very last to show up. That I, Friends, other church people were there from other churches. It was wild. All the children were there. And I'm, I'm German, which means I really follow the rules. Rules are really important. My mother ingrained that into me. The sign says only two people in pre-op. There had to be 20-some people there in that pre-op. I kept waiting. They're going to shove us out. I won't be able to pray. They're going to kick us out of here. What were they there for? They were there to shower and saturate the Radcliffs with love. Why did that happen? If you know the Radcliffs, 
down through the years, they are the most loving leaders in the church. They are the most loving teachers. They are the most loving people that go all the way. I, I reminded Randy 21 years ago when uh, I, I couldn't rub together two dimes and moved into our brand new house that we had built and was putting in sod, he showed up to help me sod the whole front yard and the backyard, and he didn't realize how big my yards are. Give, and it shall be given back to you. You're never more wealthy. We like that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You're never more wealthy than when you're surrounded by friends and loving people. Amen? What seeds are you planting? The closest thing to the heart of God is when you help hurting people. Did you know that? The Lord loves this morning our worship, the choirs singing, the prayers that have been made, but the Lord especially loves and takes notice when you reach out to the hurting, when you reach out to the needy, when you address the needs of the poor. The Lord loves it. Matthew 10, 42. If even Jesus said you give as much as a cup of water to somebody in need, I see it and I'm going to reward you. There is nothing that passes by the attention of God that you do. Whether it's a handshake, a hug, a smile, a compliment, a word of encouragement, a letter of encouragement, a, a note of thanks. Nothing passes by the attention of God and He rewards it. Nothing is too small when it's done in His name and has done to bless others is missed by God who faithfully rewards your act of kindness. And in fact, who are you doing it for? When we do our baby shower, our Big Give baby shower coming up so rapidly that Terry Denmark talked about, who are we really doing this for? Jesus answered this in Matthew 25. Jesus said, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. So many of you have come to me and say, Oh, I wish I could hug Jesus. I wish I could, I could love up on, on, on a visible Jesus. Feed the poor. Bless the poor. Minister to the hurting. Visit the neglected, the ignored. Be a blessing to the unloving and the unlovely. And watch what God, watch what God will do. This past week, I was counseling someone not from this church. And they were suffering from depression. Now, I want to make a clear distinction. My next few remarks are not about clinical depression. My next few remarks are not about a chemical imbalance. Completely oranges and apples here. I'm talking about normal depression that many of us have dealt with. And they described how dark the days are. They described how they don't want to get up in the morning and face the day. They described all their sleeping, which is uh, highly symptomatic, or the, the fact they can't fall asleep, again, symptomatic, as you go through a list of questions with them. Prescription? From Dr. Phil, in the name of Jesus, prescription. Here's my prescription. Find somebody that you can bless. Find somebody that you can brighten their day. Find somebody you can give a smile to, a hug to. Find somebody that you can be a blessing to. Go, go to a nursing home. Uh, bring a meal to a shut-in. Uh, help somebody with their chores. Bring groceries to those who do not have it. And be a blessing. Much of normal depression that we deal with is symptomatic of self-absorption. Self-pity, internalizing, introspectiveness, low self-esteem. You need to get the focus off yourself and get your focus on somebody that's hurting, your focus on somebody that's needy, your focus on somebody that's poor, and watch the joy return. Hallelujah. Amen. Be other-centered instead of self-directed. I'm not saying that, that if you're struggling with depression that you're selfish. But I am saying be other-directed, other-focused, and watch the sunshine return. Yes. Yes. 
You see, something supernatural happens from God when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we start blessing His children. Isaiah, Isaiah 58, when you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you encourage the oppressed, then your life is going to break forth like the dawn. Then your what? Healing is going to quickly come. Many miracles are dependent on us sowing the right seed. Sow the right seed that God calls you to sow and watch the harvest come. Watch the miracle happen. God is in control. God is watching. God is wanting to reward. I've got nothing to give. If you knew my bank account, if you knew my bills, I've got nothing to give, preacher. Again, give a smile. Give a hug. You could at the very least write a postcard, a note of thanks, encouragement, blessing, compliment. Somebody you see needs your smile. Somebody needs your love, your friendship, your encouragement, your handshake. Get up each morning with the determination, I'm going to find somebody today. Oh Lord, give me somebody today that I can make a difference in their day, that I can brighten their day, that I can lift them up because the world's dragging them down. I want to be an uplifter. To put it in some slang, I want to be an upper and not a downer. (laughs) Let that be your prayer. Let that be your prayer. Last night, last night, I needed desperately to get over here to start studying, as I do, and I, I was clearing out uh, the driveway like many of you were clearing it out. I kept waiting for it to stop snowing. I thought, you know, I'm not going to be a dummy and uh, start uh, clearing the driveway and the sidewalks while it's still snowing and wait for it to stop snowing. Uh, at, at, at 1 o'clock, I thought it was going to stop. 3 o'clock, uh, still snowing. 4 o'clock, still snowing. 5 o'clock, I said, I've got to go and study. So I got out there and I just, it's so wet. Oh, I wish the snow, I wish it was colder outside. It would have been easier to move with a snow thrower. And I wrestled with that thing in the driveway and the sidewalks. And uh, I did my neighbor's walk that uh, wasn't home. And uh, the snow was so hard to move. And I thought, i got to get going. I, 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 gotta, I know how long it takes to study. i got to get going. I'll be there all night. And I looked across the street, and I wanted to look the other way, and then I looked again, and I wanted to look the other way. I looked again, and oh, no, I'm going to do it. My neighbor across the street was shoveling. A guy just a little younger than me, and uh, I came up with my snow thrower, and he couldn't hear, and I couldn't hear above the roar of the engine, but I did this. He had the Great Wall of China at the end of his driveway like all of us did when the snowplow guy came through. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? The Great Wall of China in snow. Uh, and I tackled that thing, and, and then I took care of the driveway of the new uh, Arab neighbor that just moved in across the street. He was out the shovel. Both these guys said, and I'm not making this up, And I'm not lifting up Phil Christ. I'm just giving you an example. You are an answer to prayer. We looked at that wall and we didn't know how we were going to move it. Thank you so much. You're an angel, an answer to prayer. We struggle with witnessing, soul winning so much, don't we? We think we have to be this razzle-dazzle salesman for Jesus, this salvation salesman. And we have to have the right pitch, the right sales pitch to lead people to Jesus. How about we stop talking the talk and we start walking the talk? And let people see Jesus being Jesus in us. How about it we make the invisible visible? I'm talking about the love of God. 
That's what the world needs today. The world's got enough preaching. They've got it on TV. They've got it on the radio. They've got it on the internet. There's a church about on every street corner. The world's heard our preaching. They need to see the love of Jesus in our actions. Jesus be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. Mark it down, but Jesus called us to a far greater level of living than just loving others. His was a radical call to love our what? Enemies. Jesus didn't just call us to love people. Anybody can love people that love you back. Where Jesus was different from Confucius. By the way, Confucius, long before, spoke the word on love. But no one, Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, none of them ever called us to love our enemies like Jesus did. That's what was so radical about him. Preacher, preacher was preaching. The title of his message was, Forgive Your Enemies. And he asked the question, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? People just looked at him like you're looking at me right now. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have forgiven your enemy? About half of them. Did. I know some of you just don't like raising your hand. Now, how many of you have really forgiven your enemy? Finally, the whole congregation raised their hands. Except one old lady in the back. Dear Sister Jones, are you telling me that you have, you have not forgiven your enemies? She says, no. I'm telling you, I don't have any enemies. My, my, my. Dear young lady, would you come up here to the microphone and, and share with us how is it that you don't have any enemies? And as she was coming down the aisle, he said, by the way, how old are you? She says, I'm 94 years young. 94 years. Come up here and tell us how is it that you do not have any enemies? We need to hear this. She got up with the microphone and Said, well, congregation, I just outlived all those old buzzards. <laughs> That's not the kind of love Jesus was talking about. <laughs> Loving our enemies does not mean waiting for them to change. Loving our enemies does not mean that we're looking for them to begin to reconcile with us. For instance, I want to do a little test with you this morning, a little inventory. Uh, for instance, who is it? Who is it at work or at school or in your relationship circle? Who is it that rubs you the wrong way? Is it a co-worker who, who constantly walks by you and, and doesn't give you the time of day uh, 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 and you'd like to give them a cold shoulder? You'd like to give them the silent treatment as well? Jesus calls you to live to give. He's calling you to give them a smile. Call them by name. Wish them a happy day, a good day, a good morning. Who is it? If you're on the phone, if you're on the phone and somebody's discourteous to you, uh, it's easy to think, I'm just going to tell them off. They don't know me and I don't know them. We'll never meet. I'm just going to tell that rude, inconsiderate phone solicitor off. Lord expects you to be kind. Lord expects you to live to give. We've got one dear saint here in the church. She looks forward to phone solicitors. She has witnessed and prayed with more phone solicitors than anybody I know. Maybe it's your unsaved husband. If your unsaved husband is acting rude, inconsiderate, insensitive, cold-hearted brute, it's easy to act rude in return. 
It's easy to make a mess of his eggs, burn his toast. God's called us to a higher standard, though. God's called us to live to give, to love our enemies, to bless those who persecute us. Wifey, start loving him in a fresh new way. Look for ways to be kind to him. Look for ways to fulfill his needs. Look for ways to be a blessing to him because who's watching and who are you really doing it for? My husband doesn't deserve it. I agree. Give it to him on credit. You do everything else on credit. <laughs> Love him. Be kind to him. Do it for Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus in you. Romans 2 verse 4 says, It is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Too many of you, you've been trying to preach at your family member. You've been trying to preach at your husband. Wife, put the Bible down. Stop preaching at him like pastor and stop preaching at him and saying, you know, uh, uh, the wages of sin is death. You're going to go to hell. He doesn't need to hear that. He needs your kindness, your respect, your care. Hubby, your wife needs to see you as a loving, affectionate, romantic husband fulfilling the desires of her heart as unto the Lord. Because again, the Bible says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Not your preaching, your nagging uh, at them. You'll just make matters worse. The goodness of God. Next time somebody flies off the handle at you, instead of giving them a piece of, of your mind, and instead of spewing back poison for poison with your toxic tongue, instead of pouring gasoline on the fire, put the fire out. Turn the other cheek. Live to give God's grace, His mercy, His love in the name of Jesus. And watch. Watch the blessing come. Let me give you a principle. People who hurt other people are hurting inside themselves. You show me somebody that is a real critical person. You show me somebody that's a complainer all the time. And I'll, I'll just tell you, when we get real in counseling, when we become transparent in counseling, people that hurt others are people that are hurting on in, inside. And if you give hurt for hurt, you can increase the problem instead of rectifying the problem. Again, let Jesus be Jesus in you as you speak a word unto them in His love, His grace. That might just be the open door for you to be a healing agent in their life and turn their life around. What a golden opportunity you have. Write it down, fill in the blank. Living to give to others, especially those who mistreat us, is a call to live in a higher dimension of faith. I'm amazed. We have more books, more videos, more classes, more seminars, more conferences on faith living than ever before. And yet we don't live by faith. How can you say that, Pastor? By the way, we treat people who mistreat us. By the way, we treat people who mistreat us. Every time, every time you return, resentment for resentment, cold shoulder to cold shoulder, pouting, silent treatment to silent treatment, pouting for pouting. Every time you Return in kind what you're receiving in the negative. You are walking in unbelief. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. For instance, this might be radical for some of you, but let Pastor Phil talk to you for a moment. Christians never, ever divorce. Never. I've never seen it. Never witnessed it. Think about it for a moment. 
I'm not talking about the nomenclature of Christian. I'm not talking about Christianese Christian. I'm talking about a biblical Christian, a Bible Christian. Bible Christians love their enemies. Bible Christians extend grace. Bible Christians forgive. Followers of Jesus Christ, Bible Christians, go the extra mile. They always act and behave other-centered. Where there is a divorce, one or both are no longer a Bible Christian. Selfishness is the root cause of every divorce that I've ever witnessed where I've had to be an emergency room treatment practitioner of. One or the other has stopped living by real faith. Let me explain. Jesus says in Luke 6.35, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back because your real trust, your real faith is in who? Not the process in God. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He's kind, the ungrateful, and the wicked. We pat ourselves on the back uh, when we bless uh, the lovely, when we bless the grateful, when we bless those who are loving. But Jesus said, even the sinners do that. Even the sinners bless those who are loving. You're not walking by an extra level of faith in, in doing that. Christ calls us to bless the unloving, the unlovely, and the ungrateful, and not expect anything in return. In fact, you might get shafted. You might lose financially. But your trust is not in the almighty dollar. Your trust is not in a, 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 a black and red column on a budget table. Your trust is in who? The Lord. Now you're understanding where I'm going in faith. Radical faith. I'm talking about a radical faith that doesn't look for people to repay us. A kindness, a debt, a blessing. But God is the faithful rewarder. The Bible says that uh, without faith it is impossible to please God who is the faithful rewarder of all of those who diligently seek after Him. A radical faith doesn't return hate for hate. When that happens, when you return hate for hate, you're allowing yourself to be controlled by someone's anger. You're allowing yourself to be controlled by someone's rejection. You're becoming just like them. Isn't it time you stand up and be a real Christian and say, I'm going to walk in freedom. I'm going to walk in grace. I'm not going to be like that. I'm free to be like Jesus. I will not be controlled by your bitterness. I will not be controlled by your abuse. I will not be controlled by your victimization. I will not be like you. I choose to be like Jesus. I'm talking, you don't need to go to a conference. I'm talking about our higher level of faith. Love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. Pray God's blessings on them. And you'll never be more like God. Now it takes faith. To believe in that, it takes faith to trust in that. The carnal, my flesh, your sin nature and my sin nature says, I want to get back. I want to make sure they repay me. I, I want to make sure I get my ounce of flesh. Then you're operating by the world system. You pat my back, I'll pat your back. That is diametrically opposed to being a Christ follower. A Christ follower loves, 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 expects nothing in return because they trust God. They trust God. They don't go to the nth degree to prove their innocence because the Lord is my vindicator. I don't go on the attack after someone to prove that I'm the innocent, that I'm the one in the right. Because the Lord is my vindicator. Do you have Bible on that? Oh, yes, I do. Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. 
It is mine to avenge, saith the Lord. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap what? You're going to just blow their tweeters. You're going to blow their mind. You're going to blow their socks off. Young people, those are 1970s expressions. So excuse me. But it's just going to be amazing to your enemy. They won't know how to handle. They know how to handle your cursing and your swearing. They know how to handle your lawsuit. They know how to handle your hate for hate. They understand that. They're ready for that. But when you give them love, when you show them mercy, when you give them kind, when you pray down blessing on them, you'll heap burning coals on their head. They'll be shocked. They're not ready for it. It could be the open door to win them for Jesus. Or create right relationship in your marriage. And here what Paul ends up with. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? More evil? No, good! Good! Good, yes! Mark it down. Loving our enemies means demonstrating real forgiveness. Real forgiveness. Don't, don't just say, I forgive you. Talk is cheap. Real forgiveness. Real forgiveness. A husband, a dear soul was on his deathbed. He was dying. He was gasping out his last breath. And he motioned for his wife to come over so he could whisper in her ear. And she tenderly came over as her dying husband in his last moments breathed out his last request he said, wife, wife, grant my last request. What is it, dear? A month after I have died, I want you to marry Sammy. Sammy? Sammy? You hate Sammy. You can't stand Sammy. That's why I want you to marry him. I want him to suffer like I've suffered. <laughs> That's how the world behaves. You've been called to a higher dimension in living though. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. Luke 6.37 Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive. And you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, the measure that you use, the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Look at the word forgive here. What's, what's the main element of the word forgive? Give. Give. If you're going to forgive anyone... You must give them something. What are you going to give? You're going to give them release. You're going to set them free from guilt, from resentment, from bitterness, that you could be holding a grudge. Release from your demand for an apology. Release from your resentment and revenge. You're going to stop doing scorekeeping on their life. You're going to stop the bookkeeping. You're going to wipe the slate clean. You're going to cancel their debt. You're going to be like Jesus. But pastor, you don't know what they did to me. It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Life's not fair. It's not. But you and I both know the one who's keeping score. And he is on the throne, and everything's going to be all right. That's what Joseph could have said. Joseph could have very well have gone on a rant and a rampage. Life's not fair. Why? Imagine being sold into slavery by your siblings. Some of you can imagine that. His brothers sold him into slavery. And then from 
being a slave, he ended up in prison. How many years was Joseph in prison? Thirteen years. He languished in prison, falsely accused, totally innocent, totally in the right. Did he lose his faith in God? Did he forgive? The miracle was dependent on whether, you know, many of us have faith, but we have a hard time with the forgiveness factor. He went from the pit to the palace. He went from the pri being a prisoner to being vice president of the greatest nation on planet earth at that time, Egypt. And then all of his brothers were brought in before him. And they didn't even know who he was. When he revealed himself to them, he could have executed them right then and there. And that's what they thought that Joseph was going to do. But what did Joseph say to them? What you intended for evil, God has turned to the good. <laughs> Honey, sir, ma'am, life isn't fair. You might come out on the short end of the stick in the natural. You might end up being found uh, guilty and you are innocent. You might end up uh, being used and abused by somebody and you might not get any satisfaction monetarily or economically or otherwise. But who's keeping score? Who is your vindicator? Who can take what was intended for evil and turn it for the good? Who do you trust? Who do you have faith in? Man or God? There it is. There it is. He's the one keeping score. God will always, always, always make it up to you if you do what is right before Him. Lastly, the greatest example of living to give to everyone, even enemies, is not a saint, a Bible hero, or a martyr of the faith, but Jesus. You see, more than just teaching love your enemies, Jesus lived it. Go with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. What kind of an attitude, demeanor, spirit is Jesus in? Jesus said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. That means that Jesus was so depressed, so gripped in a black bout of depression that he felt like dying. Have you ever been there? Jesus has. He understands all about it. And so Jesus reached out to his closest friends. And he said, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? Three times he came out to check on them. Were they praying? No, they were snoring. You talk about hurt. Talk about disappointment. And then the Bible says, when he was arrested, what did these same friends do? These same guys who said, I'll die with you, Jesus. All the disciples forsook him and, and fled. Have you been forsaken by friends, family, a mate? Jesus understands all about it. Jesus could have forsaken them. He did not. He could have rejected them. He did not. Go with Jesus to his trial where they falsely accused him. Jesus, who had blessed the little children in his arms. Jesus, who caused the lame to walk and the blind to see, who had performed miracle after miracle upon them. What did they do to him? Matthew 26, they spit in his face. In the Jewish culture, that is the worst thing that you could possibly do. You defile a person right away by spitting in their face. They buffeted him. In other words, they punched him, slapped him. Others smote him. Luke 22, 63, they mocked him. They struck him on the face. I have had football-sized guys, like the big guys we're going to see tonight. I've had hulks of men in my counseling chair sobbing as I asked them to go back and recall the most hurting memory of their life, and they begin to sob and weep when they recount when their daddy slapped them on the face or punched them in the head. There is nothing more demeaning, more humiliating, more dehumanizing than a slap in the face. What did Jesus do? The Bible says 
he could have called 10,000 angels. One angel alone would have taken on the whole Roman army. He did not. And he remained silent before his accusers. He would not return hate for hate. He walked the talk. Go with Jesus to the cross. The pathway to the cross was a pathway of blood. <laughs> he shed his blood before he even went to the cross as they laid upon him with that Roman cat of nine tails. We don't know how many times Jesus was whipped, his body lacerated. Then they planted upon his head a crown of thorns, spikes in his hands, spikes in his feet. And as he looked down upon his creation, they're jeering, they're ridiculing, they're mocking. If you're the Son of God, come down off that cross. As they tortured Him. Some of you have birthed children only to watch those children grow up and shake their fist in your face. I don't want you and I don't want your God either. And that child that you birthed has become your, your deepest disappointment. You have no problem forgiving other people. But you struggle with forgiving those closest to you because the hurt goes so deep. Jesus on the cross looked at those that He created, looked at those that He, he performed miracles on, and they're shouting, Crucify Him! And they're spitting in His face as He's on the cross. They're plucking His beard. How did he respond? With just one word, he could have annihilated all of them. But what comes from his lips, the first words that come from his lips are a prayer. Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. How about it this morning? Have you been hurt the most by those closest to you? Jesus not only understands, but Jesus is the solution to your problem, your need. He offers you freedom. He offers you release. It is said that we're the most like beasts, animals, when we kill. And we're the most like people when we judge. And we're the most like Jesus when we forgive, when we love our enemies. You want to move to a higher level of faith? You want to move into a, a greater walk with the Lord? Love your enemies. Forgive those who mistreat you. Live to give. Pastor, again, it goes so deep. I can't do that. I hear what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. But I can't do that. That's why I want to give you the answer to the last blank. I agree you can't do it. But He can. Would you let Him love your enemies through you? Would you let Jesus be Jesus in you? Father, we just ask and pray this morning in your name and for your glory, that almighty God, that Lord, you would speak to hearts, you would speak to souls here this morning. But oh God, that Lord, you would save us, change us, transform us, bring new life in the here and now, and give us eternal life in the hereafter. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give two invitations this morning. Two invitations. Here's the first one. 
I know that this message has been to Christians this morning, but perhaps, perhaps you have walked in and, and you recognize you're not right with God. You recognize that you're not sure that you have a home in heaven. You, you, you recognize that you're not really a Christian. And loving our enemies, loving others, forgiveness, it first starts with being right with God. If you're not sure you're right with God, if you're not certain about a home in heaven, I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation, a prayer that will change you and give you a home in heaven and especially a life in Jesus. If you want to be included in that prayer, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just lift up your hand right now. Just lift up your hand saying, Pastor, include me in that prayer. Include me in it. Thank you. God bless you, buddy. I see that hand. How many more? How many more? Just lift it up to Jesus. Lift it up to Jesus. God bless you. I see that hand, young person. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up to Jesus. Your hand signifies your faith in a God who will not fail you. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you up on the balcony. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. How many more? How many more? Thank you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together right now. I'm going to pray that prayer, but I'm going to invite everyone to pray that prayer with me, especially you that lifted up your hand. I want you to repeat this prayer, a prayer of salvation. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, and I confess that I am a sinner, but Jesus... You're my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Jesus, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for forgiving me. For washing my sins all away. For giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm saved. I'm born again. In the name of Jesus, I believe this and I receive this. Amen.